Welcome to this episode of You Should Read This, here once again with Tom van der Luber. I'm Rich Datterton, and this episode will be taking a dive into 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. It's a Sunday Times bestseller. It's been on <laughs> those who are listening, Tom's just holding up the Dutch version of this. Uh, yeah, it's uh, been getting a lot of press. I've seen people on, on LinkedIn, friends of mine have been posting out about what a powerful book it's been for them. Um, I really enjoyed the book and it was Tom's idea to review it. So uh, again, perhaps it would be best, Tom, if you uh, just intro this uh, yeah, and your, your background to picking up this book and first impressions. Yeah, just a few points. I thought it's nice to, um, to discuss the book because, I mean, he lives more around the corner, eh? uh where, where where you're based uh so um that's one thing the second thing is that um just to dive into it immediately because of my own personal biography uh i i survived cancer when i was 20. i had a chance of surviving it with 20 percent and we did a podcast on yeah. that, i guess so we can put a link uh, uh to it so uh the this whole idea of um of of a time which is precious is uh, something which um, uh, is a, a very important topic in my personal life. And I wanted to discuss the book. Why? Because I think it's a very good entrance to, or a, a good opportunity to uh, to touch the topic. Um, because let's say the other alternative would uh, to read Seneca and Heidegger uh, and, and, and this kind of heavy stuff which i love i have really i have to say this so i already uh, just showed um um, um uh, richard uh, sein und Zeit from heidegger i mean it's unreadable um uh, uh, um but also seneca is not something you're just reading uh just let's say uh in the evening it's really the heavy stuff and i think the the good thing about oliver berkman is that he 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 wrote the essence in a book which is accessible uh, so this this is a book you can read uh, uh, on the sofa in the evening and the other stuff is really uh, if you if you want to dive deeper so that's the main reason i thought okay this is a nice book yes and and i'm like him i have been guilty of obsessing over productivity and he is a self-identified a productivity geek and he has gone through all of the different measures methods for time management and reached a, a point of crisis which i think yes yeah, but the writing of the book where he's just none of none of this works just trying to get more and more productive isn't making me happier isn't improving my life there must be another way uh and uh, you could almost say this is an anti an, an anti-productivity book right it's yep. it's like give up and one of the later chapters in the book he he refers to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the 12-step room, you know, the first step is to accept we're powerless. You know, we're powerless over alcoholism or, or whatever addiction we've got. It's like the first step, we're, we're powerless over our ability to control time. Uh, and that, that for me is, is the central point of this book. Like the first step is just giving up, giving up any uh, notion that we can, we can truly control time or have any can have any real certainty about exactly how productive we're going to be in any given period <laughs> um what what did you take as being the 
the central message. Yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of layers eh, in the book. So um, uh, perhaps just let's say for those who uh, listen to it, there that I, I think the book is split in two parts. Uh, the first part is uh, I mean I, I translate from Dutch, eh, so I don't know if it's if it, how it's written in English, but it's about active voting. It's a kind of self-reflection, and less is more, I would say. And and then the second part is the part you were referring to. Uh, which is Pantarai, uh, or uh, the whole this Buddhist uh, idea of you just have to accept it and it and it comes by and you can watch it uh, like the water. So these are different layers, I would say. Um, uh, but but they are always always combined and there's always interlinked. Um, so. So I think the starting point is what what I found interesting is what which I didn't know is that this Oliver Berkman was this kind of efficiency guru and wrote uh, writes uh, or wrote a column about about this topic all the time and then at a certain point he just found out it just doesn't make sense this whole efficiency game you're you're it's just the opposite uh, happens which I find very interesting because all those self help books uh, are not the solution that's I would say one of the uh, one one of the interesting topics because we are all on this rise, and the question is just okay. When do we find out that we are going in the wrong direction? Uh, which is all in a way also funny if you can reflect on this a little bit yourself. Okay, you try to do more and more and more, but it's it's um, it's going faster but not moving. It's this. This whole idea, uh, which which I like uh, a lot, and which I also find interesting. Yes, and uh, and we should say the four thousand weeks refers to the number of weeks in our lifetimes on average, um, and that's something that yeah. If you'd have asked me to guess how many weeks, I would have said a lot is, more than four thousand. Is this also in your book? Oh no! So you're holding up for those just because listening. Because that's that's uh, what I, I find very interesting to visualize it. So in the Dutch book. There is in the cover inside, um, and I just did it. Uh, I mean, I'm 54 now, so so you can just cross the weeks which are already gone, and then uh, these are this 4,000 weeks, and uh, that's more or less, let's say, 75 or 77, uh, the average age. And then you, for instance, and then I even made a, an extra an extra line here, uh, and said, okay, this is until 65, and I have two small children. So I, I always say, okay, I've 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 two two periods of of ten years. So I have ten years with my kids, and then I uh, I perhaps I don't work anymore, and then I have ten years of saying goodbye to the, to my life, or just thinking, okay, what, what what kind of books shall I read in the last ten years? But that has been my life, full stop. Uh, <clears throat> and this is all my mental mori idea. But I find I found it very very. Uh, good to visualize this, uh, and you can. I, I saw also in the internet. You can just go, you can just order this uh, as as a kind of poster, and you can put it on your wall. But I think in a way, it's a modern version of putting a skull on your desk. Right, memento mori. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and 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 he touches on that in the book how we we don't. Uh... Yeah, we've lost our reverence for death. We don't talk about death. You know how how this is important for us in our lives to, uh, yeah, remember that we will die. And um, yeah, 
And you talk about that a lot, right? And you talk about that as being one of the driving motivations in your life. Yeah, that's what I often say. That I mean, you, you, you never. Nobody uh, likes to have cancer, and you wouldn't wish somebody to to get it. Uh, but uh, I'm very happy. I I got cancer uh, in in a very young age because it's. Uh, I mean, it's the best thing you can happen if in a young age you get a kind of um, life lesson about uh, uh, the whole topic. Time is precious. Uh, which which doesn't mean that it's always easy, especially for people around me. It ha- there has been times where it is very difficult because I just said, okay, uh, I'm I'm not going to meet these persons uh, because it's they are wasting my time, etc. So it's for your whole social environment uh, not so easy, and because or or I I I really had to learn to. To behave in a, in a, in an acceptable uh, acceptable small talk way, so it's for me still difficult to 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 have conversation and not talking about something substantial. Um, uh, so I really have to to discipline myself to talk about stuff which doesn't interest me. Uh, right. So it's so it has it has two sides. Eh? So it's not only has the idea of precious time, but it also means that, which is also in the book, uh, that you have to say no all the time. Uh, you have to say no to a lot of stuff. And then you could say, okay, that also makes you more efficient yeah, because you're focused and it's called focused or uh, deep work, etc., etc. But it's uh, this medal has two sides. Yes, and he also refers to how we could that in itself can be a trap, which is similar to what you're saying. Like we, we recognize we've got this this finite lifespan. And so we say, well, we we must do we must fill our time with the most valuable experiences possible. And uh, it talks about this with retirees saying, right, well, I must go on this cruise and I must eventually go to this country. But what actually happens is we're we're filling our head constantly with what's the next, what's the next magnificent experience yep. that I could cram into my life. And in doing so, we, we create anxiety and we stop our being, ourselves being in presence. So it's, there's no, it's not like there's any answer to, the, the, to get us out of this, uh, the problem that we, we have of that we're in a finite life. And uh, we, we have to make decisions moment by you know, my moment. And, it, and that in itself, causes at some level like you know some anxiety so this idea of surrender comes through to me is it's uh there's no solving of life <laughs> there's no yeah. there's no solving of productivity it, it just is um so there is a there's a sort of deeper spiritual message underlying yes, um, i mean the starting point is to accept that uh life is, etern- is not eternal huh mm. So and, and and there's a lot of variations in the book. I mean, I I still like Heidegger a lot, where where he says, or I mean, it's it's simplifying, eh? but um, it's uh, in my book is uh, let's have a look. Uh, it's about uh, accepting uh, the fact. I think it's the third uh, chapter, accepting uh, accepting the fact that life is not eternal, and then Heidegger um, says, okay. To be is is time, uh, sein, sein und Zeit. So it's it's the same. So this whole idea of of 
let's say this this on a on a on a on a kind of meta level to say okay to be is 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 on a time frame something and then that that also repeated in the book that that everything you do could be the last time you do something so this whole idea of 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 acting or to be which is a function of time find i find it uh, very very interesting um because let's say this whole idea that it could be the last time this, I don't know where it is in the book, but somewhere else in the book, they say, let's just imagine that you will meet a good friend and it could be the last time you meet this good friend or it would be the last time you meet your mother or it's the last time you speak to your brother. This, I mean, I find this so powerful uh, because it gives you a totally different essence of, of, of every act you undertake. Yes, it's, it's a yes and, and there's the paradox, of course, is that if you then spend your your cup of tea with your mother, believing it's the last cup of tea you'll ever have with your, your mother and you work yourself up into some state of anxiety about how it must be like the perfect interaction, that's that's also going to be an issue. So yeah, that's right. it's this, there's this paradox he's working with all the way through. Yeah, although you can also say, let's say it's the last cup of tea with my mother, or I mean, I for instance, just as an example, I... When I when I visit my mother, I always try to do something, go to the ballet or a concert, etc. And it's always, I always say, okay, when this would be the last evening I spent with my mother, it has been a beautiful evening. So, yeah. which doesn't mean there isn't isn't the next evening, but at a certain point there will be no next evening. Yes. And 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 that's something I still think is very powerful. Or you can spend a holiday with your children. It doesn't mean that you say, okay, this is the last holiday with my children, but you can also say, okay, as I just did before, I have small kids, I will have 10 holidays with my children because afterwards they're not interested anymore to spend holidays with me. So, yeah. so and then, and then it's, and, and I always go to the mountains. So we, we don't go anywhere. I only go to the mountains, always to the same place. So it's a kind of, it's a kind of mantra of, always the same journey it's uh i mean i wouldn't say it's meditation but it's eh, perhaps in a way it's also kind of meditation it's it's enjoying a routine or or yeah it's a kind of mantra perhaps yes and and he he, he talks at a certain point uh, about the importance of decisions and the and the root of the word decide you know shit um yeah, has in common you know the same route as suicide and homicide, right? It's this death. You, when you decide you're, you're, you're literally yeah. hit, you're killing all of the other options. So when you decide yeah. to go to the mountain, you're killing the option of going to the beach. You're killing the option of going yeah, yeah. To, you know, to the sea. So you, 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 you're offered this opportunity just to be with that, right? Okay. I'm killing these things and I'm going to be with the mountain. I'm going to be with this decision and, and accept that. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's that. a, to put it in a very practical way, in my book, it's uh, it's uh, page uh, sixty-three. Um, we all know this fear of missing out, and 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 I didn't see the word before the joy of missing out. So this active decision, a decider, active decision to do something or to decide not to do something. So just take an example, a very practical one. I haven't. Uh, I don't have a television since 30 years. Uh, 
but it's an active decision. But it also means that if you talk to people, on, let's say in a general conversation, you just don't know where they're talking about because I don't watch the European Song Festival or other stuff. So I, I or all those talk shows, I really don't know those people. But I, in the beginning, I felt a little bit awkward, and I felt a little bit if if I um um uh yeah was losing something. And then at a certain point, I I I I I also started to to see this kind of 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 play or a kind of of game. I said, oh no, I really decided not to know who this person is, um, uh, because it's an active decision not to spend my time on this kind of stuff, uh, which which I find interesting because we we'll always talk about fear of missing out. No, it's a joy of missing out, and it's yeah. the same with consumption, huh? That's this paradox of choice, uh, uh, the, the, which you also see in this kind of Black Friday uh, social media post. It's an active decision not to buy. You could buy, and then, and I even, uh, I think I also uh, use this example. Then sometimes you you see something, and then and then you can even play with it and say, okay, I can take it, and you go to the cashier, and then just before. I, entering and putting it on the desk you say you you just go back and put it back in the shelf which which is just a very funny game it's just i mean you don't need anybody for this but you go in, you just go in the shop or a big a big um, uh you can also be a supermarket or something like that and then you, you take something go go to the cashier and then just turn around and you put it back and say okay i have taken active decision not to buy this stuff Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can imagine a similar sense of uh, joy. That sounds like a fun, fun game. Right. <laughs> um, and just referring back to your Heidegger, the Heidegger, there's a quote later in the book, which, it, which is far more poetic than ever Heidegger is on this topic, but it's from a guy called uh, Louis Borges. Or so. Time is the substance I am made of. Time is a river that sweeps me along, but I am the river. It is a tiger which destroys me, but I am the tiger. It is a fire which consumes me, but I am the fire. Like I, I am time. I am the moment. Um, yeah, I love that. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if it, just referring to that, I like the anecdote uh, in chapter six of this uh, Steve Young, American um, PhD student who, who's Asian studies student, desperate to. Um, to to enter a, a monastery in Japan in the mountains and uh, the, the monks don't <laughs> yeah. to enter. So he's kind of hanging around at this temple and they, they eventually give him these exercises to do where he has to bathe in iced water every day. And of course, it's excruciating. Painful. And one of the lessons this guy, Steve Young, learns is that um, to try and avoid the pain, which is his first inclination, yeah. is the worst thing you can do. It's much worse to uh to attempt to distract yourself or dissociate from it he actually found over time that it was it was much easier just to just to yield to the pain and uh embrace the pain and feel the pain i thought that was really pointed to the the central point i think uh oliver's trying to make here is like yield to the most moment can you surrender to the moment in all of its pain and all of the missing out and all all of it yeah be be the be the river. Yeah, you have a lot of books of, uh, let's say, especially young uh, students who uh, visit Zen monasteries. Uh, one comes to my mind, I think, Van Gulik or uh, Jan Willem van der Wetering, a Dutch guy who uh, also has uh, become famous, I think, uh, in the English-speaking um, 
apart. And he also visits Zen monasteries in that day. He has to do stuff over and over again. But there's just no, there's just no, he feels it's senseless. Uh, but they just want to, it's just an exercise that everything is senseless. It does just, nothing makes sense. But but it just takes time. And then they, you get a kind of, uh, of kind of exercises you just can't solve, which is, uh, in a way, it's absurd. But on the other hand, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 very essential. So, which is yeah. uh, which is um, let's say on the one hand you can 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 have a very strong intellectual discussion on the, on that, and on the other hand you can also laugh about it because there is just no there is no yeah, you can say okay is there a deeper sense of it? Yes, there is, or perhaps there is not. So uh, and 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 this playing a little bit also in an intellectual way, which I find sometimes very funny. Yes, I suppose that these are different techniques, aren't they? Just somehow to to break the mind, to break our attachment yep. of the of of uh, our attachment to attempting to make sense of the world, or attempting to control control uh, the moment, or have certainty about the world. I think uh, I think not that I've ever tried <laughs> figuring out a Zen Cohen or or ice baths, but that's that's what comes through for me. Um, Anything else that sort of immediately jumps out on that topic for you? No, what I what I also found uh, very interesting is uh, just just to dive a little bit in this Heidegger topic again is that uh, he says we are time, but if you, for instance, see let's say our whole historical belief about time, uh, or let's say a little bit more than two thousand, you can also just say okay, you can just put. 20 people of 100 years just in a line. And then you also see that time is, we are time in this way. So sometimes you can also put it a little bit more practical and less intellectual. Um, uh, but sometimes I think, for instance, I'm, I'm born in 68 and I think, okay, if I would swap uh, the other way around, I'm in the first world war now. So so then I just, I just subtract, I say, okay, 1968 minus, uh, 54 oh then i'm more or less in the first world war now so it's, it's a very relative way of seeing things and my own life on this historical time uh line um which which i find uh, interesting because it also becomes very relative yeah 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 um uh, one of the, the the practical points that falls out of this, you know, the idea of us being of yielding to the flow of time, which he cites again from the twelve step rooms, is um, just just do the next right thing, and that's something that I can remember as in twelve step programs, like the emphasis on that, which uh, uh, yeah, w this book reminded me of of that importance. If you can keep, well, the other one is keep it in the day, which is a, a twelve step thing. You know, just keep it in the day. Keep it the next right thing. What's the next right thing? Like, um, as a as a practical uh, pointer to to stay in the flow and not uh, continually attempting to kind of he uses this term instrument instrument instrumentalize time, right? Not like you can't obsess with chunking it up and getting the most out of everything. It's just ask the what's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? What I also find interesting is, and it's also a topic we all touched uh, on, is um, that's a historical point of view. 
uh, although our life expectancy is much higher, we work much more. So, for instance, there's a there's a chapter where they say that let's say in the 16th century, uh, people worked more or less 150 years, uh, 50, 150 days a year, and rest was reserved for celebration. Just I don't know. We would call it being lazy now. No, people were just doing nothing. But but now we have this whole notion of we have to fill every time space with something which is useful. People are just not able. We just can't stand uh, this silence, or 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 uh, we can't stand timeframes which are not filled. I mean, there's a lot of research done on that that people even start doing very strange stuff because they just can't stand doing nothing, uh, which I also find interesting because we just don't realize that in other times of our civilization, um, and they're also quoting Aristotle, etc. cetera, um, and that's, for instance, eh, what we know from the Romans and the and, and, uh, Athens, that, I mean, I'm not talking about the slaves because they had to work, but 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 people didn't, didn't work because just didn't work. You were reflecting, etc., which is probably also the reason we have so many great Greek and Roman philosophers, because it was just uh, a sign of their of their uh, civilization that that one of the highest goals was to reflect on stuff and, and not work uh, like an idiot. Because I mean, what are our heroes of of the day, or what are our heroes of our times? Those people who have earned an enormous amount of money and. Uh, uh, like Elon Musk and all those guys, that those are the people in the news all the time. It are not the big philosophers, or or whatever. Uh, so it's. I also find this very interesting that depending on at what time you live, there's also a different notion of time. And uh, perhaps I don't know when they invented the word efficiency, but uh, also could be that is something which uh, is after the Enlightenment. Or it just was not not important. Just did did not exist. Yes, and, and which is which is interesting. Yeah, and how uh, leisure like was was the, the the highest form of activity, right? To reflect yeah. and spend time in yeah. uh, thinking was um, the most valuable thing you could do for its own sake, and not not because you're thinking, dreaming up your next you know unicorn business plan, but. Just, just for the sake of of reflection, it reminds me from the, links back to our other book, um, history of everything. The the, the Candia Ronk and who was one of the yeah. native um, leaders who uh, those Enlightenment thinkers were interacting with and arguably developed a lot of the ideas around is that they were the great debaters, great philosophers, great thinkers. Um, because the society was organized around uh, discourse in the in the communal square and a lot of time given over to reflection and debating and thinking and uh, yeah we tend to, i mean even if you even when I think about it and that comes to mind in our current society who who are the people who are actually paid to debate there there are politicians and what and and that's instrumentalized right and they're always debating about the merits of xy policy right it's 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 is this going to be more efficient and effective or is that going to be more efficient and effective they're not they're not 
philosophizing. They're not debating big ideas. And um, yeah, we we don't have that in our in our culture. Um, but what was also interesting about those native coasters, which also is that how they there was. I don't remember the specific settlements, but there were there were certain settlements on I think on the east coast of America that had been discovered, where with similar access to resources, some of the tribes were, were super productive and created like a surplus of canoes and uh, a surplus of spears and spent a lot of time in um, in generating goods and being productive, and that other, others didn't do that. Um, so it seems to be a choice that we make as society as to to what degree we instrumentalize our time. <laughs> yeah, what I also found uh, interesting, uh, just also to uh, create a contemporary context, is um, and that's also a topic we often uh, uh, touch upon is uh, let's say how to use time in a collective way. So uh, at the end of the end of the book, they are talking about. Uh, Swedish uh, scientist Terje Hartig, uh, and, and then they 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 show that, for instance, people in Sweden they they uh, spend the holidays at the same time, or also in Southern Europe. So what what do the Dutch do and the Germans? They uh, they say okay, we have to do this more efficiently in a more efficient way. So depending on the part of the country where you live, you have another time where you take your summer holidays. Because then okay. you can then you can you can use all your all your flights and 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 holiday resource in a more efficient way because uh, you uh, you will split let's say in five or six different uh, uh, time zones. But what does it mean? You can't spend the holidays with your family if they live in another part of the country. And then they they show from research that uh, people in Southern Europe uh, they call for instance France. Uh, August or also Italy, it's called the Grande Vacances. Uh, in August, nothing happens. Uh, so, because everybody is just at the coast with their whole family, etc. So, and that's the time of the year where the family reunites. And in Scandinavia, it's exactly the same. And pretty for a pretty long time, because they know there will be a long winter afterwards. So, let's enjoy the summer together. And then they and then they the research shows that those that in those countries, this has a very positive effect on being happy. Uh, I will, yeah. let's say, call it, I call it happy on purpose because people just are more happy. They say, okay, I really love this, which is understandable because if you really like to meet, let's say, your family, etc., and you can't, you're not able to spend the time because you have different holidays or different school holidays, what kind of strange system do we live in? Which which I find interesting because it shows you that there are just other regions or other countries where they just do it in a different way. And then you can discuss if France is less productive. Uh, I don't know. Or, or Sweden is less productive. Probably not. They're just organized in a different way. And they have a, they have a different way of prioritizing their stuff. And, and the other example there is, in, which also a very well-known example, is called Fika in Sweden, where they all drink at the, at the same time, they drink uh, a cup of coffee together, no matter of hierarchy. So, for instance, if you read books on organizational stuff, this example is often also uh, uh, explained, 
because you have a lot of information flowing through the whole organization uh, besides the normal hierarchies. And everybody from Sweden says Fika is uh, great because uh, that's the time you can talk to everybody in the company. So, yeah. so there are enough co uh, contemporary examples to, uh, to reflect on, 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 on this kind of time issues. Yes, and I think that the, the importance of, of mandatory, mandatory leisure time, which we've lost, right? we've lost to, to some extent in, in Western culture when it's mandatory you don't work. If you're a Christian and everybody, you know, a certain period was a Christian, it was mandatory you didn't work on a Sunday. It was mandatory that none of the shops opened. So, so you, so there's, there's some necessity to force people out of their addiction to productivity addiction addiction yeah. to busyness is, is required and yeah right now we don't have this right we can all electively work on you know the weekends if we want to um uh, i thought that was an important point and then to your other point about fika and yeah uh rituals um for taking breaks i mean that that reminds me of the research done on smokers how they found that smokers tend to be more productive because they're getting up and they're taking regular breaks um, and here I am putting that in terms of productivity. Uh, we could also smoking. say, yeah, well, but we could also say that smoking is is people enjoying the social time together where they're not where yeah, they're not right. working, and that's making yeah. them more more happy. I mean, their lungs may not be happier, but they're overall being in that moment. And to your point, yeah, we I can remember working for an organization where we referred to the smoking mafia, uh, and that was exactly the same team. You know, it was a non hierarchical. I didn't smoke, but a group of people who got together and smoked and uh, it definitely helped. Um, uh, yeah. For those people to build those connections. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah. Bring back Fika. Let's have, let's, or, 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 or yeah. uh, let's, let's have yeah, Fika. You see it also Fika that some, uh, some Swedish companies, then when they go abroad, they also sometimes try to, um, to implement this kind of uh, things which are, Let's say normal in Sweden. So if you took maternity leave, etc., I think Ikea, Ikea uh, all around the world uh, just said, okay, now we're Swedish, we do it like uh, this way. Uh, so, so, so it's also interesting that to reflect on on this whole topic of efficiency, uh, and and uh, especially if you take this whole American model of of mainly working an enormous amount of hours, and then you have other parts of the world. Where they work less hours and they are not less productive. So yeah. um, Germany is a, is, a, is a good example. If you take the car industry, uh, 36 hours, etc. Um, before we dive into this whole Tesla uh, topic, etc. But then for a long time they were able to build cars and and people are only working 36 hours. So um, but there's enormous there's enormous high efficiency which has to do with the way their people are skilled. So the higher uh, your your skill set is of your of your workforce, uh, the less hours you have to work. Uh, to put it in a very simple way, uh, but but also let's say if if we would spend holidays together at the same time, you know, perhaps we have just uh, lower absence or uh, less mental problems, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because we are um, in a more efficient way. We are. Um, uh, uh, yeah, regenerating our batteries or refilling our batteries. So, so this whole yeah. idea is what's efficient or what's effective. Uh, some something can be very effective, 
um, uh, but with less time or in another way. So I find this, I still find this less because you have this intellectual level in the book, but also you have sometimes some practical examples, and that makes it, to my point of view, um, uh, very easy to read. Yeah, and you can tell it's written by a journalist, right? A, a guy who's yeah, been trained yeah. in, in having to make stuff re relevant yeah. for a wide audience. Yeah, um, that is right. Yeah, let, well, let's just talk about some of the practice. Because he ends the book uh, with with 10, yeah. you know, 10 practical suggestions um, for embracing your finitude, as he puts yeah. it. Um, so fixed volume to productivity, which I like, is like set yourself a, a deadline for when you're going to stop doing an activity and and stop it uh <laughs> difficult but yeah that that makes a, a lot of sense uh and, and and i think links to something else which i really which i really appreciated from just in terms of another sort of practical um suggestion here was a was some research done by a psychology professor called robert boyce uh and he spent his career studying writing habits of his fellow academics and reached the conclusion that the most productive and su successful among them generally made writing a smaller part of their daily routine. So it links to what we've just said. So the paradoxical conclusion that uh, that uh, actually making writing a smaller part, smaller part of their daily routine, uh, was more effective, um, so that they could keep going with it day after day. And again, this sort of speaks to a lot of the spiritual traditions. Yeah, you know, a little bit every day is uh is going to be more effective in the in the long run and i know that from my own attempts at uh being more creative I, it's far more effective for me to build a daily habit than it is to try and block out big chunks of time to devote to uh, different activities so uh, i thought that was a an important point uh his second suggestion is serialize 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 and this and he leads a little bit on uh, agile philosophy, right? And he, he he mentions Jim Benson, who's a big sort of agile thinker, and he actually been on my other podcast, Being Human. Um, but this idea of just have one one thing you're focused on, one thing that's you know your working limit your working process progress, limit your work in progress, uh, have have one thing as the main thing and, and focus on that uh, until it's done. Uh, I before I sort of pile on through the rest of the list here, are there any other practical suggestions that you like to his? I had the impression, uh, let's say the last part of the book, he wanted to um, put his uh, old, um, old practices uh, also in the book. Uh, because let's say for me, let's say from a personal point of view, I think it really depends. For instance, I like to do a lot of stuff parallel, like like playing chess on different uh, on different tables, so to say, and then depending on also often uh, it doesn't depend on 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 you it also can be let's say you're you do certain projects and it's very much depending on timing or counterparts etc and then you can be very focused on one project but if at that moment it doesn't make sense because somebody else is not moving then the project stops so i like the whole idea of doing multiple projects at the same time and just see on one one chess table uh, the project is moving on the other for instance not so i think it depends a little bit on on uh that's also the type of person uh, you are the way you work but what i like most um is 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 the last one 
just train yourself in doing nothing. Because I think that's really the disease of our times. And because especially since we have this, this phone in our pocket all the time, everybody notices how difficult it is not, not to take the phone. I mean, if you travel by train or public transport, everybody is just only watching uh, the phone. So I try just if I'm, if I'm sometimes I use public transport and I'm waiting for, for a bus or a tram or a train, etc. I notice that my hand is moving to my pocket once to catch my phone and say, no, just relax. It's difficult. Which in a way, how crazy is this? That, and, and the experiment, he, he mentions this young again. He says, okay, take, take this, um, I don't know how it's called, uh, timer uh, 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 from the kitchen and, 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 and put it on five or 10 minutes, sit in a, in, a, in, a, in a chair and just do nothing. Yeah. And it's just very difficult, which in a way, to my point of view, is in a way the essence of the book and it's, it's this confronting thing that although we have a lot of time, we're not able to stand this five or 10 minutes doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. And somehow it to me it related to his other point, you know, use boring single purpose technology. Right. Um, yeah. And I've even <laughs> like, if I, if I take my phone and use that as my, cause I meditate every day. I notice if I take my phone and use the timer on my phone for my meditation session, as soon as the meditation's over, I'm like jumping on my phone. Right? Yeah. If, I, if, I, if I've got this just dumb timer, this is just like a, a timer thing. Uh, and I, if I use that, it's way better because I'm not like pulled to, to use the phone either side of the, um, yeah, either but side the timer, of the video. But that's also a topic of the timer. Eh? So every, let's say in the past you had a timer and just let's say next to your bed and now you have your phone and then and then you 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 push uh, let's say you take your phone and uh, as it rings and says okay seven o'clock you have to wake up and then what do you do immediately watch if you have some emails seven o'clock in the morning it's the first thing you uh, do yeah, exactly. so, so uh, probably most of the people do i mean how crazy is this and and how how difficult or how easy it would be just to buy an alarm clock again i think that's the correct word and yes. and, and separate stuff or yeah. how difficult it is to 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 take those apps from your from your phone i'm not able to do this because i have this this idea of i i i i, I take apps uh, from my phone feels like kind of aborting part of my body or something like that so it's but it says something about how crazy our world is and how 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 addictive all this stuff is yes 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 um embrace dumb technology i like that i i tried to have a dumb phone i i, I went back to a dumb phone as the experiment and earlier this work? year it a total disaster <laughs> i lasted like three weeks and one of the biggest ones was just text messaging because <laughs> you forget how yeah. smartphones and protective test text makes text messaging probably like five times as quick to send a message than with the old phones you forget how hard it was to type out a text message and live one right with my partner she, like, what's happening why are you replying i'm like I've just spent the last 10 minutes <laughs> trying to reply to you. I'm still writing. Exactly. It, it's uh, dumb phones. Uh, but yeah, that's a real challenge. 
Um, the other one, like number three, decide in advance of what, what, what to fail at. And I like the anecdote he had about Warren Buffett, um, whether yeah, it's true or not. That, uh, that the advice that Warren Buffett supposedly gave to somebody who's asking him, you know, how, how do I uh, manage my life was like, write out the, the top 25 things that are important to you. Yeah. Uh, then pick the, the five of those 25 that are most important to you. Mm -hmm. And actively neglect the other 20. Like, don't put any time or investment into those other 20. So, it's back to that, you know, that idea of decide, you know, kill it. It's, it's, it's killing things like kill, kill your bottom 20 priorities. Um, you know, uh, so, and then he, he frames it as decide in advance what to fail at. So, actively choose to fail at the bottom 20 of your most, of your most important 25 um, goals in life. Uh, yeah, I, I also like that one. Yeah, that is, and it's also mentioned a lot of times in uh, uh, a lot of books. Uh, but it's it's still, I, I think, it's still great because you really have to. I mean, it's not difficult to decide and 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 uh, and and to decide against something which you don't like. I mean, if I don't like to watch uh, talk shows, it's not difficult not to watch talk shows. Now right. it starts becoming really difficult not to watch a lot of interesting movies at night because yeah. there there it starts to harm uh, uh and, and i feel the pain so to say and if i walk uh, or for instance if you get a lot of newsletters of cultural events so i i just stop these newsletters because if i receive them i say i really have to watch this play i really have to see this movie etc so i stop these emails because it's it's it makes it dip more difficult not to go to attend this new movie or this festival or or whatsoever but it's uh this is this mental game again yeah uh and then the, the focus on what's done was the other one i liked and we mentioned this earlier about like celebrating celebrating um you know what you have decided to do what you have done um what is complete uh and we uh well certainly i I don't have a discipline of that, of really celebrating everything I've got in my life. And, and, and I think it, yeah, and, and having gratitude for what I've done, I have a, have a done list. Uh, yeah, I love that. And then, of course, so that, that, that whole theme of gratitude is, yeah, flows through probably every spiritual condition, uh, tradition. Yeah, I think we also have to do uh, one, uh, one book on gratitude. Because this, I also think it's something, especially when you become older, uh, becomes much more important. So I, I, one of the, my favorite things about gratitude is I think uh, Marcus Aurelius, which I do with my kids every evening. I, I uh, this is the same. It could be the last thing. Uh, I think it's Marcus Aurelius who uh, who watches his kids sleeping. Uh, because he most of the time he is uh, let's say in a war situation, and he says I don't know how often I will see my kids sleeping, which and I find it extremely powerful to watch my children sleeping. So mm. before I go to bed, I always go to 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 the the room of my kids and remind me on this Marcus Aurelius topic, which is perhaps a little bit strange, but it's it's also kind of uh, it's it's this kind of rhythms. Huh? It's this kind of routines, which which creates for me 
I mean, and gratitude or, or your diary, writing diary and all this, this stuff, these rituals creates a kind of rest, creates a kind of self-reflection. Uh, but it's very easy to implement this kind of stuff. It doesn't take yeah. a lot of time just to walk by to the children's bedroom and uh, just see them sleeping and say, oh, I'm so happy they are there, etc. And then go to bed myself. It's very easy. It costs uh, two or three minutes. But, but I like this kind of rituals. Yeah, yeah, a day and and making it daily. Back to what we were saying. Yeah, earlier, like, I like, but I'm totally bit, routine daily. freak. So that's good. Good. Um, well, on that note, I am very grateful, Tom, that you suggested this book. I'm very grateful that we have now completed this, or coming to the end of this uh, this this recording, this podcast. Um, yes. Grateful to have you in my life, coming up with all these awesome uh, book Thank suggestions, you. Tom. Yeah, I will tell you exactly the same. It's, uh, it's uh, always an honor. And uh, what I really like about it, I, I really don't care if uh, other people are listening to the podcast. I just like to discuss the books with you. Uh, but uh, I thought what I'm still very curious, I don't know if you, if he's somebody uh, to be interviewed in your podcast. I'm, I'm very curious because there's also a biographical uh, story uh, from Oliver Berkman, because I think his grandparents flew from Germany as Jews. Uh, but 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 it's so German the book because he's he's Schopenhauer, uh, Nietzsche, uh, Heidegger, etc. So I'm 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 very curious. I, I I always when I read him, it's it's it is kind kind of ambivalence. On the one hand, he is very English, but on the other hand, he is so attached to this dark, uh, difficult. German philosophers, Hannah Arendt, etc. So, so they're all over the, the place. I'm very curious. Would be interesting yeah. to uh, would be interesting to dive into this topic. Um, I also think I was also thinking about interviewing him um, because I'm just I'm just curious uh, yeah. what his um, what his answer would be. Interesting, cat, cat. That's for sure. Great. Okay. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, listeners, have a nice day. Yeah. Get out there and do nothing. Yeah. All right. Very good. Cheers, Tom. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Read This with me, Richard Atherton, and my fantastic co-host, Tom van der Luba. If any of the material in this show resonated with you, if you're thinking perhaps how could I take these ideas and apply them in my own leadership or, or take them forward into my own organization, then I would love to have a conversation with you about that. If that feels like that could be a valuable use of your time, then please do click on the Calendly link in the description for this episode. And that will allow you to book a slot directly into my calendar. And I hope to speak to you soon.